Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, here we go. This is chapter number one. Welcome to the Believe podcast for Boise State football. This is Jeff Caves coming to you from, believe it or not, Fate, Texas. And if you found this podcast, that means you probably used to listen to Idaho Sports Talk in Boise, which I haven't done now for over eight weeks. I've been posting some things on Facebook Live and sort of waiting for the college football season to begin to get into this Boise State football podcast, but I'm excited to do it. I mean, 36 years of... uh, you know, doing radio and following Boise State football, really, since I came to Boise now 40 years ago, uh, has really been quite the process and, and, and has been, I mean, it feels like it just went right by me. And uh, here I am in Dallas, Texas, and right now I'm renting in Fate, Texas, which some people have asked me is about, oh, 30 miles east of downtown Dallas. And I'm about ready to move to Flower Mound, Texas, uh, which is about 20 miles um, or less, really, from the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Uh, It is about, oh, a little bit north and west of Dallas-Fort Worth, right next to Lake Grapevine. And uh, really more in the middle of everything and so forth and closer to some of the folks I'd like to be working with and and really, you know, I've been doing a lot of work, like a lot of you, uh, when it comes to thinking about Boise State football. I don't think I've ever stopped doing that. I try to keep up on it on a daily basis with the people that I know and, of course, what everybody is covering in, in Boise as relates to the news that they kick out. So I've been also working in a lot of different areas, and I thought I'd just kind of briefly fill that in. You may have seen some of the things I post on social media for Barrett Sports Media. Uh, Jason Barrett is somebody I have known. He is a sports radio consultant across the country, and I've started working in the sales arena for uh, Jason. I've been selling advertising on radio talk shows as long as I've been doing them, and it was a natural extension to just continue to work in that field with Jason. So I took on his sales directing job there, and you can find some of my work at barrettsportsmedia.com. He's also launched barrettnewsmedia.com, and I help other industry professionals and organizations engage and do promotions with uh, the sports radio uh, program directors and radio executives and other C-level types involved in radio, and of course, the on-air people and the salespeople. So... I've been doing a lot of work with Jason. I still continue to work in some sales capacities for the Cumulus Media people in Boise. And then I've just been meeting with a lot of people here in Dallas-Fort Worth. I've been here eight weeks. And, you know, I came here basically with the idea to just start over and start something new. And my wife's from Texas. Her father is here. My daughter has moved here. And I just thought it was a great opportunity to, to do something else and still continue to keep track of what I love. And Boise State football is it. And so here I have the Believe 
uh, Boise State Football Podcast. Um, I, I hope that when you turn to this podcast, it's to get different perspective or some meaning behind whatever the latest news is about Boise State, Boise State football. I'm sure I'll dip into conference issues, things that are not just football diehard related, but related to the university. That's where my interests are, and I, I think that a lot of the people that have listened to me through the years have the same and similar type of, of interests. When I roll around Dallas-Fort Worth meeting with people, <clears throat> and I've met with representatives from the Texas Bowl, the Texans, Lone Star Entertainment. I've met with both the sports radio uh, groups here uh, for Cumulus and Intercom, um, TexasFootball.com and Dave Campbell's people, and <clears throat> really a lot of others. And everybody asks about Boise State, which is great. It's nice to see that it's so well-received. And, you know, this this isn't really going to be a, a podcast committed to breaking news. Um, I probably would do more of that on social media, so... I hope you have an opportunity to follow me on, on Twitter at Jeff Caves or my Facebook page because that's probably where I'll put something like that. If I were to run across news per se, uh, I may put it there. But, but really, I, I've really focused more on not being first but s- s- sort of just coming in with what does it mean? You know, we all see things that occur. Well, what, what does it mean from there? Now where are we? And, and that's what I hope to do. I've always enjoyed doing that. I'm not always right it's just my opinion but i i hope that it gives a different perspective to the most current information and news so you know if you pay attention to news about boise state football i'm going to be podcasting about it and give you more information about it i've already been doing a a lot of work on this particular podcast that you'll hear in the coming weeks um i'm working on a total biography sketch of the life and times of paul j schneider the longtime voice of the Broncos. Uh, We're already six hours into it, and Paul Jay and I have discussed everything from when he started uh, um, in Boise and media in the late 60s, and right now we're working on the Dan Hawkins era. So we got a long way to go, and when we drop that, I'll let you know, and I'm still debating whether to drop it all at once or drop it out in pieces, but I think you'll really enjoy sort of an oral history of Paul J. Schneider's life and really his life involving sports and Boise State athletics in in Boise. So I'll, I'll get to that. also had a great opportunity to talk to a former football player at Boise State. I sort of ran across Ryan Keating's story. He was an offensive lineman. He was injured on that great Fiesta Bowl team that beat Oklahoma back in 07, and who knew, but even at that time back in 07, he was addicted to painkillers, and uh, then it progressed into an addiction to alcohol, and he, he really almost died in his home in Southern California, and his road to redemption and how he's recovered and where he's at now with his life is an unreal story, so I'll be able to tell you that story as well as I sort of run across these things. If you've got a great story about Boise State football, I'd love to hear it. I I love talking to people that are connected to the university, have either played, coached, uh, been in and around it, and I hope to bring really those kinds of of stories. Let me get to some current stuff. And one of the beauties, uh, uh, beautiful things about living here in Dallas is I'm going to be able to watch a lot of high school football. And, you know, when I grew up in Southern California – I was exposed to 
uh, high school football that I was familiar with where kids were going from there and they were moving on to big power five type schools. It wasn't uncommon for me to go watch a high school football game and, and the quarterback was headed to Michigan, Notre Dame, USC oftentimes, UCLA. And so I was getting sort of a preview and I think I was really pretty spoiled by that experience. Of course, when you move to smaller population states, you're not going to have so many of those types of football players on any given Friday night. So my involvement really with high school football when I moved to Boise was a little different in that I tried to to look at it as it related to the, the kids' experience itself and maybe how it fed into Boise State football if there were any of those guys that were going to move on. But, but oftentimes that wasn't the case. We all know there's very few Power 5 football players getting a scholarship uh, in and around the Treasure Valley. It's growing, I understand that. But by being here in Dallas-Fort Worth, I've got four football players that are committed to the class of 21 within an hour of where I'm going to be living uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm most excited to watch Talon Green. He'll play literally seven miles from my house. He's in Louisville, Texas, uh, which is essentially a suburb of Dallas. He's a quarterback, so I'm going to be able to get out and watch him and these other three kids, and I'll try to give you the, the scoop. The news about Boise State has, has been somewhat off the field and on the field. Uh, we know as of this taping, uh, practice has begun. The schedule for the Mountain West Conference hasn't come out. Uh, they'll be back on the field, we think, on the 24th of October and playing those eight Mountain West Conference games and then a, perhaps a championship game for Boise State. Who they play in the Mountain West Conference could change. They could play more regional. They could play neutral field. Who knows? I, I think they're open to anything. And that's really the attitude that I've taken towards this season is – it doesn't really matter. This is a one-off year to me. This season will be the same for everybody in that nobody was prepared. They prepared and unprepared, prepared and unprepared, and probably at the end of the day, whoever is the most prepared organization is going to have the best chances of success. I do think there'll be some people or some schools that win on the road that would never win on the road normally. And, and that could hurt Boise State for sure because these home field advantages are out the window. In some of their cases, that's a good thing. I've been to plenty of games in San Jose and New Mexico, specifically on this side of the uh, conference in the uh, Mountain Division with no fans. Uh, the West Division is really filled with those uh, situations at UNLV, even at San Diego State, there were some big games that were crowded. But, you know, when you get in a 70,000-seat stadium, it felt like it was fairly empty. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But we've got time to get to that. Uh, I thought there were a couple of stories to note uh, about some kids who are not coming back uh, onto the field. And Robert Mahone is one of those players. And the running back, who ironically comes from Prosper, Texas, which, you know, Prosper's outside of uh, Dallas. It's not too far. It's sort of an emerging uh, area uh, that people will live and commute into downtown Dallas and work. Um, but Robert Mahone has had enough trouble. And, you know, he's now involved in a domestic abuse situation uh, in the presence of a minor. He's had some academic challenges, some other issues. And I really believe that 
it's in his best interest to move on. And it's in best interest of, of Boise State uh, to let him and ask him to do that. You're doing the kid the most amount, to me, of good by saying, look, you've made too many mistakes here. You need to think about how to correct them, and maybe facing the consequences of having no future will help you do that. And that's what I hope Robert Mahone does, because he has talent. Uh, this kid could uh, turn it around. He could lose some weight even uh, more, I think, and get some quicks. Uh, I think he'll probably come back to Texas and play somewhere, but he's still got court dates and things to hit in Boise, uh, but just too many other uh, issues. Um, I think you know the depth at, at running back is certainly taking a hit here. Uh, you can't just rely that and say George Helani is never going to get hurt. I think Andrew Van Buren uh, can go to the next level. Uh, he just hasn't. Um, he's got to block more consistently. He's got to uh, have his assignments down more consistently. He's got to run tougher up inside. He's still got some growth. I, I don't think he's like the running back B to George Helani, who's easily the A. Uh, you hope that Taquan Tyler, the junior college transfer, which now you can understand, uh, was signed to, to, to come to Boise State. Why? It'll be a change of pace back, and I bet he does end up taking some reps. So uh, that's what they'll do, I think. Anybody else uh, will have to emerge, like a Smith or somebody, uh, but that's who they'll be counting on. I thought Jordan Happel, though, who also went into the transfer portal, uh, was a loss. He was a talented kid, a safety that had some injuries. Uh, the combination of losing both Happel and Pierce uh, hurts a little bit more. Uh, these are kids that were connected to Andy Avalos as much as anybody, but you know the development of Skinner and some others may have uh, made it a little easier for Happel to say, well, I don't know how much I'd have played here anyway, but sometimes I think they just want to finish it somewhere else, and it's becoming more commonplace uh, for kids to just up and do that, and so it, it's a lot easier. Um, I think both of these kids are good. I think that they're players. I think they would have helped, uh, probably Happel more so than Mahone. Uh, but if their heart, and, and specifically in the case of, of Happel, if his heart really wasn't in uh, being at Boise State and playing for his coaches and being around his teammates, then he's better off for himself going somewhere else, and the program is better off with him going somewhere else. You only want people that are 100% committed to that cause. And if more kids were honest with themselves, and really coaches as well, uh, they'd, a lot of people would be moving on and finding sort of their happier place. And Boise State's been fortunate in that a lot of people are happy there and stay and fulfill uh, their obligations and, and perform quite well. So uh, that's the latest, I guess, with the kids and where they've went off the field. Uh, some of the kids that may replace them, and really uh, what that all means. All right, before we get into Carl Benson's thoughts on the Mountain West Conference and their future and how all of these schools got back into the field, let me tell you about this from Snake River Pool and Spa. Well, even though we moved to Texas, one good thing about being able to do this Boise State podcast is to tell you about Snake River Pool and Spa, somebody I worked with, Kyle and everybody in, in Boise. And when it came time for us to decide what we were going to take with us to Texas and what we we're going to leave behind, it was non-negotiable when it came to the hot spring spa. My wife had gotten so used to using those jets as therapy to soothe the muscles, relax, unwind, and it really didn't matter. So we got Snake River Pool and Spa to load it up 
and we took the spa with us to Texas. So now in our new home in Texas, we have a pool with a spa, but it doesn't really matter because the hot spring spa pushes so much more pulsating jet water and massages and nurtures our bodies. It's not even close. In fact, I bet we don't even use that little spa in the pool because we have a hot spring spa from Snicker River Pool and Spa. Hot water therapy is all part of the deal. Make the wellness investment in yourself and do it at Snicker River Pool and Spa. Let the spa team show you how to make it easy to take it easy. Hit the spateam.com, call or text 208 Hot Tubs, or stop by a showroom in Twin Falls, Boise, or Meridian today. Snicker River Pool and Spa, a hot springs hot tub dealer and more. Be a part of the Boise State home team. Coming up, a conversation with an old friend, Carl Benson, the uh, WAC commissioner, just retired from the Sun Belt. And in this conversation, just you're going to hear Carl talk more about some of the sources that he's had in the Pac-12 that talk about why they uh, came back to playing, uh, some of the money involved for the Group of Five and impacted uh, why the college football programs in the Group of Five may have decided to get back involved and how much money is involved. Boise State's financial health from Carl's perspective. Uh, he even adds which school in the Mountain West Conference he thinks has done the most with the least amount of money available to them. And dip into the ESPN business model for bowl games and why fans may not be mattering much for the 2020 and 21 uh, bowl season with Carl Benson. All right, we've known him a long time, of course. Carl Benson, who's some forget, was the commissioner at the MAC. And we all remember the WAC, and of course, most recently as the Sunbelt Commissioner, now retired, joining me here on the Believe Boise State Football Podcast, which that's ushering in a new era. And uh, Carl, it hasn't been that long that you stepped back from the Sunbelt Conference, but how do you like this new pace of things for yourself? Well, Jeff, thanks for having me on. And uh, you know, I, uh, I made the decision to step away and... You know, finished my career on June 30th of 2019, so a little bit over a year ago, and I certainly was not expecting to to now be part of uh, the outsiders looking in, so to speak. Uh, you know, for 30 years I was on the inside and I was at the table, and uh, you know I would have been in the in the know, so to speak, of of what has happened over the last six months from last March when. They shut down the NCAA basketball tournament to now as they're attempting to, to play college football. But, uh, you know, on one hand, I, I feel fortunate that I, that I haven't had to be you know, part of the decisions that were made. Uh, on the other hand, I, I always like to be part of a, of a solution. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm, I'm just like the majority of the rest of the world. Sometimes, you know, just shaking my head um, as to, how and when some of these decisions have been made. So we know that the MAC checked out first and they were the last to come back. The PAC 12 and the mountain West have done the same and they've all been giving reasons about improved testing. And, uh, that is essentially where they're coming from. They don't like to talk much about the rest of their reasons that they decided to come back, uh, to play as you see it, Carl, as you rank some priorities, why do you think those three conferences came back to the college football table to play? I think it's pretty pretty obvious that uh, the MAC followed the the Big Ten and um, and the the Mountain West followed you know the, the Pac-12. You know, you mentioned that that I started my commissioner career as the commissioner of the MAC, uh, headquartered in Toledo, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I spent my first four years as a commissioner 
uh, you know, in Big Ten territory. And as I moved west to the, the WAC in 1994, you know, spent 18 years in the Rocky Mountain area, but, you know, all of my, uh, you know, from the member universities to just the kind of the, the ge geography, you know, I was in the Pac-12 footprint. And so I experienced and, and witnessed and saw how the Pac-12 operated. I grew up in the, in the state of Washington, so I'm, I've got history there. And then the last seven, last seven years is the commissioner of the Sun Belt, you know, living in New Orleans and, and being in this in the SEC footprint. It, it didn't surprise me, Jeff, you know, at all that the Big Ten made the decision they did and the Pac-12 made the decision they did. And then the SEC made the decision they did. And it was all, I believe, part of the, the makeup, the geographical makeup, the political makeup, the, the cultural makeup. Um, you know, and, and how the sport of football is treated and how the sport of, sport of football is, is part of the fabric in each of those three geographical areas. And, and then when the MAC followed the, the big, you know, the big 10, uh, you know, I called commissioner John Steinbrecher and I said, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that the, that the MAC, you know, made that move. And a week later I called Craig Thompson. I said, Craig, I'm proud of the, you know, the, of how you and your board of presidents and board of governors, you know, made that decision. Mm -hmm. And, and I supported, I supported them. And at the same time, the people in the, in the Sun Belt, I, I talked to presidents and chancellors in the Sun Belt and, and, you know, it didn't surprise me. And, and I, you know, informed them that I respect your decision and, and uh, hope that it's the right one. So, What's the financial piece of all this, Carl? We, we know that they're there to play. They're, they're there to sustain their experience of the student. And uh, there, there's certainly been spikes of infection and on campuses now. And, and so we're kind of seeing it, but people are somehow tolerating that. Uh, it's the cost of doing business. And then I know there's this financial piece. What, what kind of pressure do you think was on these these conferences, specifically the the Mountain West, which you're familiar with out here, to to come back and play? I think it started, you know, with the the original decision by the Big Ten, uh, with with them shutting it down, canceling the fall season, followed by the the Pac-12, and as they, you know, as they made their their statements, you know. Oftentimes, not at the at the at the pace and the speed that that everyone wanted to hear their reasons, but it was it was always based on you know on science and health and health and wellness and, and the safety of the student athlete. That every decision you know that was made was was with the student athlete in mind, and and I get that, and I believe that 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 may have been the case, but I think that there was a strong uh, financial implication, and and they measured it. I say they, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 measured the financial impact and and the risk of of playing versus the the risk of of not playing. And I heard from a pretty reliable source that inside the Pac-12 boardroom, virtual as it was, that as they discussed the the health and welfare and the safety issues one of their legal advisors. We, we haven't heard that much, Jeff, about the, the, the role that the legal advisors Hate. played in, in making those decisions. 
But I heard from a reliable source inside the Big 12 that that their legal advice was we can we can calculate how much money we're going to lose by not playing football this fall. Mm-hmm. And, and we can be prepared for it. And as you remember, the, the Pac-12 went out and borrowed $1.2 billion to, to be able to use to, you know, to, to mitigate some of the, the losses. But those legal, the legal counsel said, we cannot predict or calculate how much you may lose if, if we play and the thing blows up and the, the amount of litigation that could occur, the volume of litigation. And Jeff, we've seen litigation over the last seven, eight, almost 10 years now from the grant and aid case where student athletes represented by plaintiff's lawyers mm-hmm. band together in, in, in you know, class action. We've seen the concussion case be settled. The grant and aid case was settled for Three hundred million dollars. Wow. The con- the concussion case, I believe, was about two fifty, all in the period of three or four years. The magnitude of what a class action COVID is is just enormous, and and I heard that that's what led the big or the Pac twelve to to make their decision. And and yes, the testing piece has been. Um, you know, created now that that is going to create a a better and a a faster testing period, and and if that was the main piece that that allowed the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to reconsider and and bring it back, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad that 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 is in is in place, but I still think that from a risk management standpoint, there is still potential for you know for some some litigation. Uh, you know, once you know cases occur, once cases of former student athletes that that had COVID and whatever you know heart lung issues that that are long term, I think that that there will be uh, you know litigation you know somewhere down the road. Not sure how much. As far as the Mountain West and, and MAC, um, again, I think it was a matter of just of, of following the the other conference in their geographical area and and moving into that the, the financial implications you know the mountain west by playing their you know six or seven games will activate their existing television contracts that my understanding will be paid in full if they can if they can provide that mm-hmm. if they can deliver those certain number of games that are required so that is that is now saved, and is that twenty five or thirty or forty million dollars a year divided by by twelve uh, that that the Mountain West has quote earned back uh, somewhere in that in that ballpark. You know the the game day the game day revenue uh, is probably not going to happen, right? Uh, so that that's going to be the loss. the The CFP money is still a little unknown. I know that that while the Mountain West and and Mac sat on the sidelines, the other three Group of Five conferences, American Sun Belt Conference USA, uh, were really kind of expecting to uh, to be sharing that money three ways rather than five ways. Right. 
assuming that the CFP went on and played. And, and that's, you know, that, that uh, full number is $100 million. The group of five conferences share $100 million from the CFP. Uh, so Mountain West, Mac, assume that they are back in the, you know, in the revenue distribution. Uh, they probably just saved another, you know, 15 to $20 million, depending on where they rank in the, in the group of five. So if the television contract is, you know, 30 to 40 and, and there's another, you know, 15 to 20, uh, you know, it might be a, a $50 million uh, infusion back into the Mountain West membership that wouldn't have occurred if they didn't play. So, Carl, let's take a look at the Mountain West Conference. And you know some of these schools because you've worked with them. And I thought I was going to look at, like, who's got resources and who doesn't. And I listed my have-nots, a lot of them in California. And I thought, you know, San Jose and and Fresno, I thought, were have-nots that are very limited in – what kind of money they have available to them to sort of sustain themselves without being able to play football or get distribution from the NCAA college basketball tournament. Uh, I didn't include San Diego state there. Uh, We know Hawaii is in deep trouble. They think they'll open on the 15th of October to tourism, but now the football program has shut down because of COVID. Uh, I think UNLV seems to find money, Carl, one way or the other. And Nevada is already one of the lowest resourced budgeted athletic departments in the in uh, FBS. And New Mexico gets very little, if any, state support. And those were kind of leading my list of schools in the Mountain West Conference who they've got to play football or find revenue coming in. Or I thought they would be in uh, really a reevaluation period going into 21. Did, did I come close or what's your take here? No, I think that that's a... That's a, a pretty fair assessment of, of the, the haves and have nots. And, you know, the current, the current Mountain West membership, uh, every one of those members was a member of the WAC at some point in time during my 18 years as the commissioner of the WAC. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, there was the original 16 team WAC that merged into the, the Mountain West and the WAC leftover, so to speak. And, and as, Boise State and Nevada and Utah State and uh, those schools, you know, uh, merged into the into the WAC. So, you know, when you look at the at the pool of of uh, twelve teams, you know, I've I've been on every campus. I've watched every every facility be built on those you know twelve campuses. I've watched how they have have struggled both on and off the field in terms of of being able to to be competitive. Uh, and I think that the there is such a, a small margin, you know, since 1994, when San Jose state joined the WAC and then joined the mountain WAC, everyone has been waiting for San Jose state to do something spectacular because of their, their location, their alumni base, the, the, the fact that they are, they are so connected to, you know, the, the population, uh, and and they just have never been able to to deliver on what everyone's expectations have been, mm-hmm. and and I see this doing nothing except to to keep, unfortunately, San Jose State down. Expectations have probably changed over the course of time, uh, as they, but I know that every football coach that has come into San Jose State 
Now, Dick Tomey had a had a couple of years of of you know bowl success, and Mike McIntyre had some some yeah. success. Yeah. Uh, but you look back, you know, in the in the early '90s, you know, when San Jose State was kind of at its peak, they they really have not they haven't they haven't been able to get back there. Um, Fresno State was always the you know one of the in my mind one of the the hidden gems in in the whack that they you know they they averaged thirty five or forty thousand in football and they averaged ten to twelve thousand in basketball mm-hmm. and and they had it they had it going um, you know during the Pat Hill era and and, you know, and even support right the dairymen and all the aggregate people and then yeah. the out hit and it it seemed to change the complexion yeah. of that valley big time it did and. So I, you know, they, they, in my mind, used to always be in the top half and, and it would, would hard, be, would be hard to, you know, to, to put in the bottom half, but just because I think what's going on in the state of California right now, you know, has, has put them at a, at a disadvantage, uh, you know, New Mexico, um, you know, is, is so dependent on the, you know, the, the, the oil and the natural resources as, as the price of oil and the price of, of gas and whatever, you know, goes up, you know, New Mexico economy goes up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they've been tied to that, but, you know, they too, you know, they, they had it going so much in basketball that, that they could overcome some of the deficiencies that they had on the football field. Um, but, um, you know, I think that they are, they are endangered, so to speak, you know, the, the Utah state, um, you know, they probably have done more both football and basketball with less mm. than, than many, you know, probably any school in the mountain West, Jeff. And, uh, you know, Colorado state right now just seems like it's a, it's such a, uh, I hate to use the word train wreck. I mean, that's been used the last several days in a lot of different terms, but, uh, you know, things are, things are not very positive there. Wyoming, they've been, they've always been unique. Yeah. They're the only, only four-year university, only football playing school in the in the state, and they seem to to always be able to to make it work. But some of that is state funding. State and exactly, yeah. So that's uh, you know when you start start trying to identify what is the long-term effect of COVID and and how are these schools going to you know to come back. You know we haven't even talked about you know, about Boise State in terms of, you know, the impact that that this has had on on their overall financial health, not just the athletic department, but the, you know, the, the university is, you know, I'm a Boise State alum and I get the mailings from the president's office about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the dire straits that, that the university in whole is, is under. So, um, even though you and I both are always going to put Boise State in that upper half, you know they too are going to be uh, significantly challenged going forward. Well, I think that you, it really is illuminated when you start discussing the idea that they could take an invitation to play football in the American Athletic Conference and find themselves in the bottom third of budgets real quick. And the quicksand that Boise State's athletic department budget really is, is th- this exposed it when they cut sports right away and I know baseball was near to your heart as a former player and coach there, and they had to about face. And I think they've furloughed people, and I'm sure they are still 
trying to hope that things return to normal sooner rather than later for the spring. But I think their margin of error has, has been eliminated. And I think that the Boise State Athletic Department is in a sort of treading water mode now, much like the rest of the Mountain West Conference. And, and the booster complexity, I think, has changed dramatically from the few providing the, the, the majority for everybody. It's now going to have to go to, they're going to have to find new people, Carl. I mean, people get old, people change. Uh, I, I think they're really at a crossroads for where they can go and, and looking at like, say central Florida as the main competitor to them. There's, no, as you know, if you compare those two campuses, there is nothing similar to Orlando, Florida and Boise, Idaho, and the number of students at central Florida and Boise state, right? No. And the, you know, the population and the, the economic, the, the wealth, um, you know, Boise has grown so significantly in the last 25 years and, and the, the wealth has, you know, has, has gone with it, but it, it, you know, there's a there's a ceiling. I think that you know that a that a Boise demographics you know can reach, and you know I think you're absolutely right in terms of the change in the demographics and the change you know in their fan base, and where is you know where is the you know the the next generation of Boise State fans, you know where are they coming from, mm -hmm. and you know, for so long, everyone would point to January 1, 2007, as as when Boise State became a a national, you know, name and and recognition, and and they capitalized on that. They capitalized on that tremendously. But has that? And I think the answer. I think we both know the answer. Has that plateaued? Oh yeah. And I think the answer is is absolutely it's plateaued saw it in 2014 when they went back to play Arizona it was nowhere near uh nowhere near the same um for sure and you know you follow the money and sometimes I think you you come up with answers that some people want to hear and others really don't and and I just think it's it's interesting Carl that really across the board power five group of five Boise State uh almost everybody nobody really wants to get into the money and uh, that doesn't play well publicly uh, as an administrator, does it? I think it's. I think it makes it makes it difficult for uh, to to be able to defend some of these decisions. And you know, Bob Costas, the the Hall of Fame announcer, back in in July, uh, in an interview with with uh, on NBC Sports or you know, one of those HBO Brian Gumble shows. Uh, and this was this was when everyone was in, you know are we going to play or aren't we going to play? Mm -hmm. And Bob Costas made the quote that I thought was was very compelling at the time. He said, "If college football is played in the fall, college football will be exposed for exactly what it is, mm -hmm. and that is big business. That that would be the only thing that was going to drive." The, the playing of college football. Mm -hmm. And about a month later, as, you know, things started opening up and, and decisions were being made, he, he re-quoted re by saying, you know, football has already now been exposed. The sport of college football has been exposed for what it really is. And that is, that's an enterprise and it's a business. And, 
I've heard more college presidents, Jeff, over the last you know two months now, acknowledge by saying we can't afford not to play. Right. And and that I think is is telltale. Uh, and that's been at all levels. I mean, that's been at Ohio State down to you know San Jose State. But uh, it, it, if that if that is is what the sport of college football will now move forward with, acknowledging that it is a business. Oh boy! How will how will that change the structure? How will it change the the you know, talk about bottom half, top half. You know, we already know that the power five and the top half of the power five has separated themselves, not just from the group of five, but they've separated themselves from, you know, the, the bottom half of, of the big 12 or the bottom half of the, you know, of the pac 12 to, to compare, you know, Washington state to, you know, UCLA or, or even Washington State to the University of Washington, the, the financial disparity that exists even within the the, uh, the Power Five. Let's move fo- forward here, Carl, for one last item. Uh, tremendous insight, by the way. I think uh, looking at some of the issues nationally is much easier for all of us because it's written and talked about uh, the Power Five schools' national uh, perspective and all the big Uh, media people weigh in on but the group of five issues sometimes don't get weighed in on and so i think your perspective is really valuable to to those of us that are concerned about boise state and the mountain west conference but along those same lines we've got all the college football playoff uh maneuvering uh, the idea to go to eight teams shot down they're going to stay with where they are for now and You've got bowl games that still have dates to set, whether they can let fans in or not. And then you've got all those ESPN bowls, Carl, uh, that they control, essentially, and they involve tremendous amount of Mountain West uh, tie-ins. So where are we at with our bowl system for this one particular year, you think? Well, you mentioned ESPN and the the ownership of the bowls, including the, you know, the, the bowl in Boise and the you know, the Idaho Potato Bowl is now you know owned and operated by ESPN, which I think is is a savior for for Kevin McDonald and and the bowl that to have ESPN ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think there's 14 others, or maybe now up to 15 ESPN bowls. Mm-hmm. Uh, those you know the the business model for those bowls that now includes the the Potato Bowl, the Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, is much different than a bowl that is not owned by ESPN. And ESPN's business model with their bowls, you know, is is the priority is on programming and television content, and not necessarily, you know, the 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 fans and the game day the game day revenue associated with it. Uh, we've all heard before that that many of these bowl games are made, made for TV events sure. and whether, whether there's 6,000 fans, you know, in the stands or 26,000. Uh, so ESPN is getting that programming at a very, very modest price. So I think those games this year, um, you know, will be, will be safe. Now that all five group of five conferences are, are back playing. I don't think there's any question that, 
you know, that the Idaho Potato Bowl is in jeopardy of of not being played uh, because one of their, or, you know, when it was the Mountain West MAC, those two conferences not being, you know, playing. Now that they're back, I, I think that that it'll be played. Um, you know, there may be some other there may be some other bowls that that rely on uh, on attendance and revenue associated that uh, that are going to have to make some some decisions. But uh, talking to some of my bowl uh, friends in the in the bowl business, I know they're already talking about now that there won't be any bowl eligibility that pretty much everybody is is going to be bowl eligible that they will you know, make a, a very conscious effort to to create matchups in those bowl games that will be more regional, that uh, that teams can get on buses, uh, that that they can go in, you know, a day before or two days before and, and treat it more of a of a regular season type environment than the the, the traditional bowl experience and and to satisfy their, you know, their their television contracts. I mean, when you think about it, you know, are, what kind of fans? There aren't if there aren't fans in the regular season. How are they going to to be able to, you know, to to permit fans at uh, at bowl games and and how many of those fans are really going to want to go to a bowl game? You know, come December nineteenth. Right. Right. Well, uh, we got some time to figure this out and. What a tremendous uh, opportunity to talk to you, Carl. I'm so, so happy you could join me to help launch this Boise State football podcast on Believe. And uh, I think the Boise State fans are as interested in anybody in all these models and financial pieces. So it's always good talking to you. I don't want to keep you from uh, – you got a big golf game uh, coming up here uh, in the in the West. You're, and you're not hopping on planes, huh? No, I, uh, I, I'm sure glad that, uh, that golf has, has been uh... – you know, uh, allowed during the last six months. I, I wasn't prepared to shut down my, uh, you know, my life, but golf has been able to, to do this. And this, uh, I make a little road trip, uh, next week to central Oregon to meet up with some brother and a cousin to play three or four days in sun river. So, uh, that'll be a, a good, a good, uh, relief to get out of, uh, out of, uh, the four walls that we're sitting in right now. So. Great. Carl, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you joining us. All right, this is going to do it for the first edition of the Believe Boise State Football Podcast. I want to thank Snake River Pool and Spa, Carl Benson, Dan Leibowitz for our music today, editor Wyatt Huskins, engineering by Alex Carter. Please subscribe to the Boise State Football Podcast wherever you get your podcast, so you can always get the latest pod. I'll be adding to this uh, podcast as news warrants. We're waiting for the Mountain West Football Conference schedule and any other news in and around Boise State, Boise State football. You'll hear right here, Jeff Caves on the Believe Podcast Network with the Boise State Football Podcast. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v 
on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.